Hey nerds, welcome to Captain's Quarters, the Star Trek Rewatch podcast. The podcast where we are rewatching the entire Star Trek series, starting at the beginning of the timeline. Today we're talking about Star Trek Enterprise, Season 2, Episode 4, called Dead Stop. My name's Gabe, I'm with Jason. Make it so, Jason. Joel on true, buddy, how are you? I'm doing well. This episode picks off picks up where the last one left off in that they had hit a minefield uh, from the Romulans and blasted a huge hole in their hole and they are in danger of being marooned. Tucker doesn't think they can go past warp 2 2.1 which means that they are like 10 years from Jupiter station. Um, and so, uh, I can't remember if it was this episode or the one before Archer actually says they're 120 light years, um, away from their solar system. Yeah, I think it was the last one. Okay. That was something I meant to call out last time as, as we're always perpetually trying to figure out how far out we are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But so they're... They're in trouble here because they're in the middle of nowhere. They need drastic repairs. They can't go home. Uh, also, their antenna was damaged, so they can't necessarily send like a deep space uh, message out for help, an SOS message. Um, they send out um, a short range one, and they get a response from a mystery um, species. Who responds and tell gives them some coordinates uh, basically says there's a repair station they go and they find this repair facility and it is a the epitome of a sci-fi sort of repair station it's it uh, it's maybe the most technologically advanced thing we've seen in the show so far um, it, it kind of like the, you know, the, the station itself kind of expands to accept the ship so that it can dock, uh, when they go in, everything is automated, um, which is interesting. I feel like the show was like showing things that maybe are like, um, things that we would see now, maybe, uh, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I don't know, a lot of like touch screens, um, a lot of like like the commands they use to talk to the computer. And so everything is automated. There's no trace of any life. And basically everything is immaculate, but also everything is very advanced. So there's like... Pro- Holographic projector? Yeah. Also um, protein resequencers that before they even get on the ship whatever this station is scanned the enterprise and like learned their whole menu and so when they go onto the station they literally like can resequence catfish which is something that tucker wants and he says it's pretty good and to paul it's like hey i saw one of these before um I've seen one of these resequencers before, so she kind of knew what it was about. Um, so the 
the computer on the station tells um, Captain Archer, here's your options for compensation. Here's how long it'll take to fix. And it's going to take something like a day. And Tucker thinks that if... 34 hours. Yeah. If his crew was going to do it, it would take three months. Yeah. If they could find... The titanium. Yeah. Which they can't. Tritanium alloy. Tritanium. Oh, tritanium. In the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. which they're not going to be able to find. Um, So this is like a screaming deal because they end up only needing to give some plasma... Uh, some of the some of the warp <coughs> plasma um, as compensation and so you know they do it um, it's it's very um, it's a very sci-fi episode it's very mysterious like it reminded me of 2001 a space odyssey absolutely in many ways absolutely. very cold yeah yeah the lighting for sure incredibly creepy episode i must say yeah the incredible bright lighting um it was like it reminded me of like just like an apple store on steroids right (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah exactly and you can tell just from um not that apple stores are unwelcoming or anything like that just (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) but you can just just from like uh scott bacula's acting he's you can tell that from the get-go archer is very skeptical yeah verging on uncomfortable too good to be true too good to be true and one point he does say he's learned to trust his gut and something tells him that this is off something's wrong um and he definitely He's somebody who like, you know, wants to shake your hand and look you look you in the eye. And the fact that there's like this faceless service. Yeah. I think just just from the get-go, he's rubbed the wrong way. Yeah. And so um they're doing the repairs. Everything seems to go smoothly. Um let's go after we go through the synopsis, let's go back to Tucker and Reed crawling through the duct. Sure. Um, sure. And so, at one point, um, they, they so they tell they tell uh, the crew that um, the areas under repair are off limits. So we see on on camera we see Ensign Mayweather go down to uh, one of the 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 bays, the docking bays, and see some kind of weird electric activity on a wall. And he walks up to it. Next thing we know, Phlox is over him, scanning him, calls um, Archer down down to um, to that area, and basically says that Mayweather is dead. And says that he was shocked to death. Um, so Phlox takes him up to, to sickbay, and they're, he's doing a... Um, sort of post-mortem on him to figure out exactly what happened. Um, at the same time, Archer's kind of like, okay, I'm going to figure out what's going on. He goes onto the station and he's like demanding answers, but he's just basically talking to a computer. It's just a touch screen. And it's, it's very much like Surrey, um, the Apple uh, assistant like like you say something and and they just go i'm sorry that 
I couldn't understand what you're saying. You know, I felt like I felt like they were talking to Siri. So I thought that was sort of um, interesting that they, because that didn't that technology didn't exist when they made the show. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I feel like that was like Archer's experience he was having with this touchscreen computer was exactly what like the experience I have with my Apple phone, my iPhone. You know, she can't understand what I'm saying. She doesn't listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he uh, he gets mad. He's like punching the screen and stuff. And um, basically, uh, at earlier, uh, Tucker and Reed had tried to sneak onto the ship, to go through these this duct work. They got caught. And and the thing is, the whole this whole space station. It is technologically advanced with like really advanced computers and stuff, but everything seems to work on teleportation or I'm sorry, trans transporter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Transporter technology. Yep. Mm-hmm. And resequencing. Yep. So yep. they it seems they seem to be able to like reassemble atoms wherever they want. Like like a transporter does, right? Mm-hmm. So like when Tucker and Reed try to sneak on, uh, you know, they get caught, they trip an alarm, and it basically just beams them back to the Enterprise unharmed. Yep. Um, and But but also just, like, the materials that they, they use on the ship seem to be, like, c- constructed out of thin air in, in a similar fashion. Um, so, so Archer knows that Reed and Tucker that that happens he's like okay well can you guys help me find a way to get onto the ship um because uh flox basically uh says uh hey this isn't this isn't mayweather this is a like resequenced mayweather and i can tell because i inoculated all of you and the vaccine in his bloodstream isn't right and so it's it's a dummy body. So now they're like, okay, well, where's the real Mayweather? So now they need to get onto this this station. They need to sneak on. Uh, Archer asked Reed and um, Tucker to help. So they figure out how to get onto the space station. They sneak through the duct. Um, Archer and T'Pol. Yeah, Archer and T'Pol yeah. um, are able to, to sneak by these sensors that catch uh, Tucker and Reed. They go to this sort of central area where, like, the central computer is, and they find a bunch of uh, bodies that are sort of plugged in, like, Matrix-style into the core, including Mayweather. Um, they all have these, um, like, nodes on their, their heads that are, like, tapped into this computer. So they detach Mayweather. Um rescue him take him back to the enterprise at the same time they give the they trick the um computer into thinking they're handing over the plasma compensation when it's actually a bomb so they set the bomb off they detonate it blow the space station up and uh after blasting their way out a bit they fly away why did tucker and reed initially go onto the ship before any of the major drama happened 
Yeah, so they so they went to go investigate um basically how this technology was able to do what it was doing. Um, you know, because they figured that the it had something to do with the computer core and <clears throat> and they thought that if it was as advanced, they thought it was going to be bigger. And so they went to go investigating, well, what's running this station? Are there crew members? Um, you know, what's going on here? Oh, right. Cause there were things that were not, that were kind of out of place and suspicious, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there were, you know, the device that helped repair Reed's leg that was beamed aboard, that was suspicious, you know. Right, because in the previous episode, he was impaled, and mm -hmm. part of their almost magic technology was they are basically, um, like, resequencing his leg and Mm -hmm. repair it 100%. Yep. You know, so um, they try to, you know, access... The restricted compartments, um, and, you know, obviously, as you said before, they were transported back to the Enterprise by this mm-hmm. Okay. computer. Yeah, because Tucker says something like, hey, our computer is like the size of this whole deck. Like, right. Like, how could they do this? Um, they're, you know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. The, the yeah. station should be bigger if it's housing that much computing power so yeah so one of the things with this episode i feel like it deals with a lot of theme i think it's a very thematic episode yeah um one of them being something that (laughs) i normally don't uh condone which is a fear of technology like okay like being afraid of like uh you know the um you know the whole terminator thing like sure 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 um i sure i really think that 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 view of technology is used to to halt a lot of societal progress and it really bothers me um but interesting yeah i wasn't bothered by this episode but i thought i was going to be like i could tell they were going there um but i wasn't bothered mm-hmm. by it so I don't know. Interesting. How come? Do you, wh- why do you think? Um, I don't know why. I guess because um, you yeah. know the station starts repairing itself a little bit in the end. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and well, hey, by the way, okay, is this the the Borg? You know, it's tough to say because it's. So when I was watching it, it had elements of the Borg, but it also had elements of, um, in Star Trek, the motion picture, um, a spoiler alert, uh, Mm -hmm. there's machine planets and things like that. And then it also reminded me of the Next Generation's pilot encounter at Farpoint, even though it was the... The being was an alien, not technology, where it replicated and did all these advanced things. 
So there were a lot of bits of like the motion picture and Next Generation and even a little bit of the original series. But the Borg, I, I, I wouldn't say the Borg, but something incredibly similar. Incredibly similar. Okay. Yeah, I never saw that movie, but when that movie came out, the one with the, star, the Next Generation crew and the Borg... They oh, yeah, like first contact yeah mm-hmm. they advertised the heck out of it and i feel like i was probably watching a lot of tv at that point when i was a kid mm-hmm. and i feel like i watched so much promotional material i knew a lot about it so okay. that's the only reason yeah. i even know what the borg is yeah okay yeah yeah no i i don't think borg but it's something fairly similar to those kinds of um to, for as a Star Trek fan, it, those you know, a little bit of Borg, a little bit of V'ger from uh, the motion picture, and a little bit of, you know, a couple of different episodes, and probably a little bit of Voyager um, when they were in the Delta Quadrant, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of experienced something similar to this, where, um, you know, people or individuals were being used to power into this station. <laughs> right yeah because it needed so when they when archer and t'pol enter that room right you see a vulcan a klingon Mm -hmm. and you see a cardassian uh which is kind of interesting which is kind of cool because we don't get to see them until (laughs) next gen uh and then prominently in um in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So that was kind of cool to see. That was really cool to see it was a Cardassian. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. That they were basically alive, but they were brain dead because they had been used to power the station for so long. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is what I took away from mm-hmm. how it was able to know and replicate itself by, you know, using... Neural, uh, neurolytic brain functions, I guess, mm-hmm. as the computer core power to power the station and do what it did to replicate. Right. So it seemed a little derivative, maybe, of the Matrix. I don't know. Oh, very much so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Matrix, uh, I, like we said before, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, what other... Well, because like in the Matrix, the the machines use the humans to power themselves and run. Right. And so in this case, they're using the the beings, you know. Um, and Tapal even says, the cerebral cortex is the most sophisticated computer ever. Right. She says invented, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she did. <laughs> that was an interesting way. I don't even know what her faith is. She believe in God. Yeah, I don't know. A creator. Yeah, know. She must believe in a creator, yeah. right? She must believe in a a creator, yeah. <laughs> and but it, did, it, did it surprise you that she was a little bit more trusting when she reports that to Captain Archer that there is no crew and she kind of makes excuses like, "Oh, they must be working on some some other ship in some other part of the station or must be hidden away when Archer has that gut feeling and says, how come there's no crew? How come there's no workers? There's no... 
Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe that's just because the logical thing to do was to take a leap of faith because yeah. the the alternative was a 10-year trek. Right. Um, so maybe that it was logical to her. But yeah, you're right. She was definitely not as skeptical as she normally is. Sorry. Oh. Um. Well, um, so yeah, there was that that technology thing, the the fear of technology thing, which I normally think harms progress. Like I. So you think we should just go full bore on any idea, whether it's. I do. Yeah. See. Without restriction. See, the thing is, like, I mean. This could really, this could really derail our Star Trek talk. But just in general, my opinion is. Well, I think this is what this episode is really about, and this yeah. is what Star Trek does, in my in my <laughs> view, in a lot of ways. Well, okay, so a lot of times people talk economics. They they say yeah. that like you know machines are gonna put people out of a job, and mm-hmm. clearly machines have put people out of jobs. Yes. However, there is a like currently in the current events, you know, whoever's listening to this, whenever you're listening to it at this moment, there is this massive labor shortage right now. Some of it's driven by um, politics and um, policy, but a big part of it is just the demand is there and the supply isn't there. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, cost of materials has gone way up. Uh, to get anything done is pretty much impossible. Like if you wanted to do something to your house right now, um, good luck. You're six months out, et cetera, et cetera. So if we had robots doing these things, and by the way, they're, they don't have the exhaustion that humans have. So I, I get, here's what I, I, I don't want them to take everyone's jobs. I think we should be working alongside them. Okay. To fill the capacity that we need. So, like, you, you know, and we hit a big crunch with uh, when COVID first hit, the yep. the healthcare um, infrastructure couldn't handle this wave. Why couldn't they handle it? Because people are propping it up. Well, what if robots were there to, to pick up that capacity? Then we wouldn't have panicked as much. Um, so on and so on. Or, or in dangerous situations like uh, police traffic stops. What if a, what if a robot was the one making, you know, getting people's driver's license and stuff? And then we take the fear of, you know, I, I think a lot of police are responding to their own fears of safety when they, you know what I mean? That's the other side of it. You know, we talk a lot about police shootings. I think police are also afraid of getting shot and they respond to that fear. Like, what if we reduced that conflict by having robots make that that first contact or whatever? So, I don't Interesting. know. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's my whole mindset, and I, I think those I think those are all good things. And uh, you know, a lot of times people use what they see. Jesus, sorry. People use what they see in the movies and TV shows um, as as if like that's how things are going to play out, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So yeah, that's where I'm at. 
I, I get the feeling you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. I no 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 no. I um um <clears throat> I think in a, I think in a lot of ways I I take a much more tempered approach to things. Um because so technology at this point is incredibly useful um and can help in so many ways um and while you know we're not to the point where it's you know and if we ever get to that point that artificial you know artificial intelligence starts evolving mm-hmm. to a point where it has its own consciousness or whatever but that's beyond that's, we're talking about science fiction here in a moment um because at the moment you know we're we we you know because humans are imperfect and the person who has to code um the intelligence of whatever robot you're talking about um is gonna also be imperfect and so when you put too much uh effort and give too much autonomy to a robot it will make a very cold calculated choice um or an imperfect choice because it was built by an imperfect being um so i think we have to be um a little bit uh, so i'm a little bit more tempered mm-hmm. i think there are still ethics involved and you know to quote a movie to quote a star trek movie um you know soja f- says or said that we believe that when you create a machine to do the work of a man you take away something from the man so there's a little bit of that too yeah but you also add something to the man absolutely absolutely oh absolutely 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 so i take a much more tempered approach i mean you know you live you know you live in the phoenix area for our listeners um how many times have you know those automated cars crashed or exploded or well, so something. the thing the thing is is we had one bad crash and that shut down from a uh, from a uh, policy standpoint. So they like they all got pulled after that one bad accident. Right. So had they been able to keep going, I'm sure there would have been more. But so there was at least three companies who were just crawling all over the Tempe Scottsdale area, probably beyond, mm-hmm. probably beyond those two areas. Um, and everything seemed to be fine. And then there was a bad accident and they all got pulled off the streets at once. Right. So I think, you know, I'm, a, I'm not saying, you know, that we shouldn't, um, I'm going to quote another movie, and I think I've quoted this a bunch of times. But Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, you know, he says, just because your scientists believe, thought that they could, no one ever stopped to think and ask the question, should we? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, again, it's a, I have a very tempered approach to things. Because, you know, the devil's in the details, and I'm, you know, I can't make commentary too much on broad overarching um things like that so mm-hmm. but again you know there is always going to be risk you know right you know how many times did they try to land 
Dragon. You know, SpaceX, you know, how many times have they tried to, like, land that successfully and it, like, you know, blew up, what, nine out of ten times? Mm-hmm. Listeners, yeah. again, tell mm-hmm. us if we're wrong, but tell me if I'm wrong. But, you know, I think there's, you know, the risk, there's obviously going to be risk involved, right? And then there's always going to be some sort of sometimes a knee-jerk reaction to something that does happen in a, in a negative way. I just think we have to pull ourselves back a little bit and be like, okay, what's the level of risk that is acceptable and we have to be a little bit more careful and tempered in our approach? I'm very much a scientist in that way. Well, um, yeah, I hear you. I mean, and and not to say that, you know, I mean, I mean, NASA's space program, uh, you know, yeah, we did it, you know, we landed, a, you know, we landed men on the moon in 10, within 10 years, but there were, there were accidents that happened, um, you know, there were faults and there are challenges and, you know, but we pressed on and we did it. So there's that part of the argument as well. Mm-hmm. So there are boundaries that we have to push um, and accept the levels of risk. And we're going to have to be okay with that if we, you know, and we're going to have to accept that, you know, autonomous cars may crash into a tree and kill the driver or passenger yeah. in that sense. And, you know, we have to break through bar. You know, there's a little bit of pain to break through barriers, but again, a little bit more tempered. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think I'm more. I'm more on the. Uh, we should all be pushing to be a uh, interplanetary species side. You know, I don't agree with a lot of the Elon Musk things that he says publicly, but as far as his like push for like humanity i'm 100 percent on board with that and i feel like that should be permeated throughout society i mean even like with this like crypto stuff like you know a lot of times they'll, they'll talk about like smart contracts like a huge chunk of my current job is reading through contracts and like um reviewing them for compliance and um you know checking that these things were uh fulfilled appropriately um they're crazy complicated if each actionable item in there was part of a smart contract there would have to be like thousands of endpoints in this contract that are connected to some other you know um like endpoints that match up perfectly and like we're so so crazy far away from these things ever actually being a thing yeah and so like the idea that like we're on the cusp of um this major like technological sort of society it i just like it just doesn't add up it's just a lot of talk you know everyone everyone makes um, just a lot of statements about about these things, but when you really just look at it, it it's not penetrating to the degree that we say it is. 
my opinion, by the way. You know. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So I don't know. I and, and so I think I think because of that though, because we're not penetrating as much as we think or say we are. Mm-hmm, I think we have mm-hmm. a ton of runway before we ever have to worry about it. Sure. Oh yeah. No. No. Right. 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 And that's why you know I think, and that's why I limited my cautiousness to like you know that's where i was like we're not to the point of you know some terminator artificial intelligence you know thinking or uh what's the will smith movie where yeah uh you know um, i robot yeah i robot right Mm -hmm. i don't we're not to that point uh you know um but i again you know, I, we're not even close to that point where society, ha, you know, has unified and said, oh, these are our priorities and we are going to focus on, you know, autonomous vehicles or spaceships that will fly into, you know, beyond mm-hmm. the moon and, you know, Mars and all that kind of stuff. Well, so. well, that's the other thing, though, is it would take a very cohesive society to, like, pull a lot of this yeah. stuff off. Mm-hmm. And we've proven time and time again how mm-hmm. just how, like, insanely far away we are from that that mm-hmm. yeah, vision oh, yeah. or oh, yeah. version of, of politics. Like, yeah, sure. At every level. I mean, we are more divided now as a nation than we ever have been. So the idea that yeah, I don't know, maybe. Uh, okay, a year ago, maybe we're more divided than yeah, maybe. Ev- okay, ever so. is a tricky word because obviously we had yeah. an actual civil war. So yeah, but, I think, yeah, exactly. Um, but <laughs> you, you know what I mean, like yeah, no, uh huh. The idea that we're like merging to this point of, you know, a, a homogenous society. It's just like it just doesn't add up. It's like okay, you look at this, and there's just why I'm waiting around so much work to do. Right, (laughs) but there's always going to be people who resist that, and they they can't stand being going with the crowd. They always have to go against the grain, or like sure, even if it's just perceived in their own head of oh, I'm special, I'm standing above all this. Um, so. But but yeah, there would need to be massive societal cohesion to like build out yeah. all these things that we talk about as if they're like a week away, you know? Right, 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 right. So to, in my mind, we just have so much runway before we ever have to worry about the danger. Like, sure. And we just spend way too much time talking about the danger. So sure. Um. All right. Well, what about the ethical? Because we fear the unknown, right? We fear a little bit of the unknown. Some people fear change. Uh, yeah, I think so. For sure. So. Yeah. Oh, by the way, it was this episode because when they when they resequenced the catfish, Archer says, there's not a catfish oh, within right. 120 light years you're from here. You're right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. He did. That's right. Yeah. I was wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're right. What about the ethical dilemma at the end? So they blow the station up, but there's all these people there 
who are connected in. And at the end, I felt like they kind of hastily said, well, they've been connected so long, their brains are ruined. But he actually says most of them are connected, which to me indicates at least one of them, uh, their brain is not mush or could potentially not be mush. So I thought that was a uh, interesting moment there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one because I thought that they had come to the conclusion that other than Mayweather, that the bodies were, had, uh, that the victims were all, had irreversible brain damage. So I missed that if there was... If that was a an ethical dilemma to like try to rescue the ones that you could try to, I just think they like in order for it to not be an ethical dilemma, they needed to have a scan of each one. Like, to Paul needed to like scan the room and be like, they're all brain dead. <laughs> yeah, and that would have been. I'm not a- sure if brain dead is the right word, but re- irreversible brain dead. Because what kind of what would you get on the other end if you did disconnect them and get, you know, um, what would you end up with? A, you know, incredibly brain-damaged individual. Um, and uh, we're getting into territory that, you know, I'm not sure if we're ready to go into um whether that life is ready to be you know is to be saved or not there wasn't enough for me to know um and from the information given in the episode but you know it is another one of those questions that you know if you try to disconnect them you know what is the Mm -hmm. what is the um what do you get what's the the end get point of that person's yeah life what's what are they going to turn out to be right mhm right cuz they had been connected so long that you know and they were the power source for the this station right yeah i don't know i mean that's something that uh we don't really there is no definitive answer for it's a matter of opinion right, right? so right so I do want to point out that um, so the director of this episode is uh, or was or is Roxanne Dawson. Oh yeah, she's directed a couple episodes before, right? Uh, but yeah. she's better known as Belana Torres from Star Trek Voyager. That's right. Yeah, and she was also um, the voice of the computer of the station. Oh really? Which is kind of cool. Oh no way. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It wasn't, hello, Dave, what are you doing there, Dave? But, you know, still. <laughs> cool. Hey, this episode was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Special Visual Effects. I'm not surprised by that. I'm not surprised. I thought it was. That's kind of cool. It, it actually was a very good-looking yeah, episode. Yeah, it was. Oh, there was. But it did play. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say there was a great callback in the beginning to the pilot um, when they were, they, the station had done a, a really detailed scan of the Enterprise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And Tucker was just blown away. He's like, look how detailed the scan is. And then they can see where um, their their shuttle pod had like oh, scraped yeah, the, the underside. That he, yeah, the and Archer goes, I thought I told you it. to paint that. Yeah, yeah. And in the episode, I think he does say that. He talks about painting it. So I thought that was a cool yeah. callback. So the other cool, in my view, in my mind, the other kind of cool callback is when Archer and Tucker are on the little shuttle on the pod mm-hmm. doing the initial scans of the damage. So the cockpit, the chairs, and the cockpit of it reminded me of the Phoenix, Dr. Cochran's uh, warp ship from Star Trek First Contact. So they're... Oh, really? It, so, yeah, hmm. so it reminded me a little bit of that to, as a callback, too. So. Interesting. Okay. Do you think it was intentional? Oh, I don't, um, I don't, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. And like the little pod itself kind of looked like the Phoenix's uh, nose cone and uh, cockpit section. And then the chairs and some of the instrumentation okay. and the paneling and stuff like that kind of remind me of, I could be totally off base, but it just reminded me of it. Okay. But yeah, no, this, like I said, this was an incredibly creepy Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Trek episode. I was like, woof. <laughs> yeah. I liked it, though. I thought it was really good. Yeah. And again, I think the really good episodes kind of generate discussions like the one that we were having about artificial intelligence and technological advancement and, you know, when are we going to be replaced or when are we going to become the core <laughs> in this case? <laughs> right. Oh man! And then to to Paul, uh, you know, maybe we are just the figment of someone's dream or imagination, and we're just waiting for that being to wake up and our and our perceived reality is just something's dream. Is that is that an actual uh, religion or dogma? No, I don't think so. It's just you know, yeah, something to think about. Well, and then that thing wakes up, or oh, man, that this isn't real. This is just you know a simulation. That would be a hell of a dream. Yeah, something simulation computer program. The Matrix itself. <laughs> oh, one thing I missed is that the species that responds at the beginning, who gives the coordinates, are actually called Tellarites. Yep. Which we don't, which we hear, but we don't see. And I maybe we don't see until. I think we do see them, but they do play much more of a prominent role in the original series. Okay. And then there's a Tarkalian device um, that we hear early in the episode. Um, I think I want to say. Yes? No? Maybe so? I remember that. Okay. What was the device? Tarkal- it was uh, something from t- the Tarkalians. Huh. I don't, uh, 
I don't remember that. But, uh, okay. Well, maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, the Tellarites for sure. The only other thing I wanted to talk about, maybe it's not even worth discussing, but I did think it was a little tropey to like have the fake death thing because they, I didn't believe it. Um, oh, of Mayweather? Yeah. Like I was like, ah, I, I basically right away knew that it was a dummy because I was like, th- okay. there's no way they're going to kill off Mayweather. Uh, yeah. But, um, ah, I don't know. I didn't think they quite would. a few Star Trek main cast members. There have been instances where characters have been killed off. Well, and, and so, you know, they have, there's a lot of moments with the characters dealing with his death that, um, you know, I thought were well done. I thought like Sato's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of remembering him. I thought that was well done. So. Um, so I thought, yeah, you know. That was it. Um, was there anything else at you first, wanted to talk about? Because I hadn't seen this in a while. And, uh, but I was like, oh, okay. Maybe it was a contract dispute. <laughs> I always wonder that. That he was, you know, or that, you know, he wasn't getting enough lines or anything. Or, you know, I'm just sitting here piloting the ship, not saying too much. Yeah, I wonder... Because it has happened in the franchise. I wonder how many TV... It has happened. TV character deaths are the result of the actor asking for more money. Quite a few. I can think of quite a few in this franchise alone. Oh, really? I didn't know... Yeah, a couple of I didn't them, know yeah. that stuff was, like, publicly known. Yeah, 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 yeah. In this franchise, yeah, a couple of them. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, there's a pretty important one, too, that it could have later turned out to be, hmm. you know, whether it's completely what's true or not. But, yeah, a couple of characters in the Star Trek franchise. Oh, okay. Absolutely. So it's not. it was not out of the realm of possibility. But I could also have seen it, you know, you also see it as, like, the other thing is, I'm not sure how you explain your way or you act your way through finding out how or, you know, what drives this station, right? And I think that played a big role to it, too, right? That it's like that it needed a human or it needed an individual's cerebral cortex and their brain power to you know power the station Hmm. so i thought that was interesting incredibly creepy again but that was really interesting um and i'm not sure how else you would have because would have it mattered as much i guess if it were like a yeoman or a you know would you as a viewer cared if it was ensign so-and-so hmm. from deck four no i wouldn't have i'm surprised they don't kill off more to be honest like when they hit the mine i'm surprised there wasn't more oh death. yeah 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 but this ship is so small and you know but i th- can't lose too many crew members i right? think they said there's there's <laughs> 85 crew members yeah uh-huh so if you kill off, you know, if you kill off one here and one here, 
and there's what 26 episodes in the season there goes you know mm-hmm. quarter of your crew yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, we're down to you know forty crew members <laughs> by the end of season two. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can kill off too many red shirts. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which is something I actually kind of appreciate about this this iteration. This, you know, about Enterprise is that you know it's a little bit more. It's very character driven, obviously, and that's the way a lot of Star Trek is. Um, but then there are hints of the episodic alien species of the week or whatever that drove uh, the original series in many ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I kind of like the fact that, you know, you don't kill a red shirt every episode. <laughs> <laughs> or in this case, a red stripe. Mm-hmm. Well, um... All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we covered it. Cool. Like I think we got it. Yeah. It's a good one. What'd you think? What'd you think? I liked it. Liked it a lot. Uh, I think it might be my favorite episode of season two. Really? Yeah. Okay. I really enjoyed the last one, Minefield. Mm-hmm. Well, with that being said, uh, everyone, please follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, follow Captain's Quarters on Twitter, and go to nerdific.com for links to everything. And thanks for listening, and live long and prosper. May the force be with you. See ya. See ya.